Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Bear Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, titled Bally High. Uh, I think we all know why it's called Bally High, yeah? Yeah, sure. I, I can't get Saved by the Bell, Bayside Valley High out of my head when I hear this. Yeah. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Vince, That's my own Vince personal problem. Vince is making a lot of high school jokes in the Insider Podcast this week, too. Right, right. Maybe that's where I got it from. Uh, what do you think of this episode? It's 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 a really good episode, but I do feel like the Jennifer Hutchinson kind of uh, took a vacation on the writing department. She wrote essentially six paragraphs of dialogue and then a lot of Mike reacts and Jimmy mugs and fucks around in his apartment <laughs> and Kim looks thoughtfully as she's serenaded by... You know what I mean? Okay. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff in brackets that the actors just kind of riff on to, to you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike looks up and the, has a stare down with the cousins and his face tries to become the fourth state of matter. Relying on the actors. <laughs> yeah, which is nothing wrong with that, right. but it does feel a little underwritten um, huh. okay. to me because there was like, it was a slower paced episode and they just leaned into that by, you know, Mike taking five minutes to sweep his apartment, which we knew, I, I don't know, I may, maybe I'm a little too plugged in, but I kind of felt like I knew it was going to happen most of this stuff. So I was a little tapping my foot. On some things like that, I, I, to me, it felt like the the Jimmy plot kind of shifted down a gear, like it's it's spinning its wheels a little bit, uh, whereas it's giving a little more time for Mike and Kim to do their things, uh, which I don't know, I'm fine with as long as the episode is entertaining. I don't care which character it focuses on. Yeah, I don't either because uh, I like them all. But there seems to be a lot of hand, hand wringing about. Oh my god! In the last three weeks, has Jimmy even been in it a third of the time? And I'm like, I I don't it care. Doesn't really matter. Yes, the show's called Better Call Saul, but it's we only have a plenty prob- of time. It's only a problem if you cut the Kim and Mike, and it's like boring. When is Jimmy going to come back? Right. And I'm not saying that Jimmy's I... boring, and I don't want to see him. I'm just saying that there's certainly enough cast here that you can let it breathe and give these other characters their their time to shine and he needs a little time to come to terms with with his life and his relationship with kim and his job like he needs that breathing room uh and we as an audience still need to be engaged so i think switching focus to these other characters is a good idea sure while he kind of wrings his hands about this stuff so, i don't know uh do you have anything to say up front or should we get right to the recap no i think we're ready to go okay jimmy can't sleep he's in his corporate housing uh so he turns on the tv he sees that davis and Maine are running a commercial uh, then he plays with his balls and finally goes to his old <laughs> office to sleep comfortably on the pull-out couch. Uh, I, <laughs> what do you think about this commercial? It's obviously it's Davis and Maine. Meslomaniali or whatever. Meslomaniali. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Meslomaniali. Don't ask me. I've already know. died on that hill three times in the last ten <laughs> seconds. So uh, It's obviously... You know, they, they took his idea to make a commercial, and they Davis and Manified it. Yep. Big time. Well, and not only that, hates it. not only does he hate it that, but when is it on? Three o'clock in the morning? What yeah, 70-year-old at a retirement something. center is up at, at two, two, three o'clock right. in the morning? Right. It's they, they might be getting they... up in the next half hour or so, <laughs> because like that's another old thing to do, uh, person thing to do. Go to bed at 8 o'clock, and, you know, you're yeah. up at you're three, three, but... You know, it just feels. I mean, it. There's to me that we were supposed to get two things. Number one, how corporate it was, and how much less effective. And number two, there's the implication that they're cheaping out by getting the least expensive 
time slots that would i guess is fine except for when you're talking about senior citizens it's it's you might as well not even run the damn commercial right you know murder she wrote that makes so much more you know what's cheaper than advertising at three o'clock in the morning not advertising and you're going to get the same amount of calls from senior citizens so true i i thought that was especially a slap to, to, to jimmy's face so i have a few questions about this first first of all all right, this is a really shitty commercial. It's not Jimmy's. That really sucks. Why do they not run his commercial? Is it out of principle? Like, Jimmy fucked us on this. There's no way we're going to reward him by running this commercial. Or did they just not like it? I think it's the latter. I think there was some room to debate you know, both things when the, it originally blew up. But now that we've seen it, I feel like that they didn't think the first one befit their corporate image. Which blows my mind because it's not exactly like it's okay. You know, it, it's not a better. It's not a better call Saul commercial. It was just a right. really well done dramatic thing that got the point across. Yeah, I I don't know. Last episode, I didn't feel like that was the issue. Like they didn't like the commercial. It was just that he went ahead and branded this thing but without them. Then where do you stand now? I mean, I feel like they just yeah. didn't like the commercial. Well, it could be that, or it could be them, like I said, not wanting to do this because Jimmy made the commercial, and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to put his commercial on air after chastising him for making this commercial. Well, wouldn't, so... If it's liked, a stupid, petty thing, but I think maybe that, that might be part of it. Don't you think if they liked the commercial, though, they would, like, reshoot it with a higher budget and get a proper voiceover actor? Like it seems, yeah. I don't know. I did guess you, you got to ask yourself how petty these guys are. Whether they would, you know, uh, that's a great idea, but we don't like the ex- execution. We don't want to reward this guy by by you know letting him backdoor into thinking he was right. So we're going to reshoot it with this. Maybe they just have to abandon it totally. But the yeah. fact that it's not even in between the two makes me think that they just that 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 that. That dramatic stuff is is anathema to them. Yeah. They're like, fuck it. Right. Well, this commercial is most certainly boring. Uh, I So I was looking at the, this opening scene, and I was like, where are we right now? Um, I wasn't sure if we were actually – which era of, of Jimmy slash Saul we were in. Because sure. they shoot it – Almost like so desaturated that it might be the Gene era. Yeah, him sitting watching his days of glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the very beginning, until he flips on the TV, and I was I like, "Do the they do that intentionally?" I had the same thought because there are parallels, right? He's he can't sleep here. Something's clearly bothering him, just like he does with. It's he's the Gene. long dark tea time of his soul, right? So yeah, I feel like that there was. I mean, who's, who's to say? But I feel like that there was a deliberate attempt to make that emotional connection, anyway. Mm-hmm. And it could just be corporate housing has a lot of grays and neutral. <laughs> but even the way they framed it, like, you know, him sitting in the chair all sad and his body language. Yeah. I, there's got to be deliberate parallels into that. I think so. Uh, so it's obviously also telling us, look, this life just doesn't fit Jimmy. Yeah. You know, he's more comfortable on the shitty. Uh, it's got to have. This polite couch has got to be the least comfortable thing sure. in the world, but it fits Jimmy, right? It, it's got. It, I felt like a lot like you know Pete Campbell and Mad Men bitching about the suburbs. Like there's just there's no good, good there's no good nighttime noises. I need the sirens and the yeah. screeching tires and the honking horns, or, or else I can't sleep at night. He needs like no one would say that that loud random noises are good for his sleep hygiene, right. unless you're used to living in a big city. Uh huh. Um, so, you know, Jimmy's used to kind of slumming it and he feels more comfortable there. Yeah. And they go, 
and and take this metaphor a lot farther you know mm. of of this life not fitting jimmy uh and and vice versa yeah there's a further on I wonder if there's some hints to his development as Saul because, you know, it's not like he goes back to driving a Sintra in Saul, but right. it's like is is being Saul the metaphorical equivalent of taking the lawyer Jimmy could be and taking a crowbar to it and widening it out so you can put your damn coffee cup in there and like that's yeah. Saul. Saul's like he's got a flashy car that probably holds his cup holder. But, you know, his suits are sleazier and the car is a Cadillac and it's not a German built precision instrument of automotive engineering. Uh-huh. I, I, I feel like it's there's a lot of these, um, you know, they're not exactly foreshadowing since we know it's going to happen. But it's more, I don't know, it's not exactly strip mining the past to build on the, 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 the future either. It's it's just metaphor, man. OK, yeah, definitely. Uh, then we go over to Kim getting ready for work and she's taking her sweet time about it. And I uh, was like, the f- I was actually like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, why am I watching Kim just dick? I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm looking at her face and trying to figure out, am I supposed to figure out what she's thinking? And then you realize she's waiting around for this message from yes. Jimmy, who, if you look at the machine, it says six messages. Uh, he says something about this being the week long tour of the South Pacific. And yeah. you get the impression he's been doing this all sure. week. Sure. He's been crooning uh, her. Right. So he. Jimmy leaves a voicemail, uh, starts singing to her, and she kind of gets a smile on her face and leaves for work. Uh, then we go over to Jimmy on the other end of the call, and uh, the spa owner hassles mm-hmm. him and, uh, you know, like, what the hell are you doing here? I thought you had a fancy office and apartment and stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, you know. And he asks her for coffee. And then on his way out, once again, he's pissed that the mug won't fit into his car. Why does he hassle her for coffee? I was trying to figure, is uh, is this supposed to draw a parallel between him and Chuck? In what way? You know, Chuck has an uncomfortable situation with the coworker, and to break the tension, he's like, hey, why don't you make me coffee? And Saul, or not Saul, sorry, Jimmy has a kind of uh, uncomfortable uh, conversation with a, not a coworker, I guess a landlord, and his reaction is, hey, why don't you make me coffee? This will be all over faster if you just do what i want i i feel like this might have been a way to connect the dots between him going outside and like between him being in the office and him you know trying to fit this mug back into his car Mm. like this is an obvious way to draw attention to the mug do you think there's any correlation between the last episode where this exact same situation happened and i don't know what the correlation would be like i don't know this this woman doesn't work for him this woman is not like they have a professional underling. relationship. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not seeing it, but maybe some people will. Uh, yes, one of those persons I, being your co-host sitting across the table. <laughs> right. Maybe some listeners will agree with you. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so do, do you know this song, this Bally High song? Never heard of it. Neither have it's I. It's from this uh, play, South Pacific, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So I had never heard of it. It's so. probably like I, yeah, I've never, it's one of the, the few Broadway plays I haven't seen because it's kind of from that era that I'm not interested in. Yeah. Like the Oklahoma era, the old man river, the showboat era. It's like, that's, that's not what I'm looking for when okay. I'm, when, when I'm going for show tunes. Gotcha. Uh, I don't, I don't often go out for show tunes. So, you know, Jonathan Banks mentioned, cause you know, he's a contemporary of this song coming out, I guess. And he mentioned that it was like a big deal for 
like progressivism and, and racial tie because it's essentially about a white boy falling in love with an island girl. Huh, okay. And that was considered like controversial or like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something that, well, you know, mixing, mixing races was a big deal once upon a time. Uh, right. And he said that it was kind of like uh, the Broadway equivalent of the – he didn't make this. I'm making this analogy. But the Broadway equivalent of like the Kirk and Uhura kiss okay. is yeah. just something that like shock racist sensibilities and help people. I don't know whether it's true or not, but he's an old man. I'm not going to argue with him. Okay. <laughs> Plus, he'll, he'll beat you up. <laughs> he's, he's pretty tough. Uh, so they also show Jimmy like fiddling with his seatbelt here, which just – Goes to further show he's not fitting into this role. Uh, then we go to Kim unpacking her stuff in her office when Howard stops by to tell her that the clients have arrived. And as they walk through the halls, Kim tries to explain, look, I didn't ask Chuck to speak on my behalf here. Uh, whatever happened to get me out of the doghouse, not my fault. And Howard doesn't completely ignores her, doesn't respond at all, and then puts on this big cheesy fake smile and they meet with the clients. Yeah, man, it kind of, I you know, <laughs> trying to like Howard, but... It does seem like he's a sociopath when he can just, uh, you know, yeah. dead face it and completely turn this on. Turn on the charm. Right. This is something he puts on. It's an act. Yeah. It's not. What's the real Howard? Yeah. Does Howard I have even no know? fucking clue. So, and that's why I think, like, in some ways he's more duplicitous than Chuck. Because at least, like, with Chuck, I realize what he's thinking most of the time. But with Howard, I have no fucking clue. Yeah, but he kind of be, it might be like the middle child that just, you know... He's, they're not the baby, and, but they're not the oldest. that gets all the responsibility and rights, so they just kind of get in where they fit in. So he's just okay. like, again, it goes back to my social chameleon theory. In fact, I mean, you want to renew the debate about who's got it in for Kim, whether it's Howard sure. or Chuck, because I feel like, and I, I fully acknowledge you can read this both ways. Because <laughs> I, I think I'm going the opposite way. But you, the but... way I'm reading it is that he's pissed because he can't win with Howard. He tries to do what he thinks is right, and Howard's disappointed in him. He tries to do what he thinks Howard wants him to do. I'm sorry, Chuck. Uh, okay, Howard, you were confusing the shit. Howard tries okay. to do what's right by Jimmy, and Chuck gets pissed at him. He okay. then tries to do what he thinks Chuck wants him to do vis-a-vis Kim, gets it right, but still gets scolded because Chuck is playing her in a game that Howard doesn't fully understand about this brotherhood shit. And that's why he's okay. he's pissed. He's just like, fuck this, I... You know, he's mad that he's been used. He's mad that he had to take this tough stance against Kim that I don't think he really wanted to do. And he got smacked around for doing it. So, Right. And I lean the other way. I think Howard is at fault here. Um, Howard's the one who wants her in the doghouse in the cornfield. He's mad that Chuck over. uh, Yeah. Went over his head. Right. Right. If you I mean, I don't know what the percentage is here as far as like who has the most say. Can Chuck just override Howard? No. Well, like, I don't think it. No, the cause... other Hamlin is missing. Like, did Howard get his part of the? I imagine like both partners have an equal share here. Sure, it does seem though that 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 Kim is clearly Howard's employee, right? You know, he directs her day to day. He directs her stakes and what 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 clients she gets to work with, all that stuff. But, you know, you always go back to Chuck is, you know, as Jimmy asserts in season one, he's the one that makes the firm. So, you know, there's the theoretical power. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I've been in that situation where I'm in middle management and I could fire any employee I want. But if I fired an employee that my boss thought is a superstar, I'd have, 
some splaining to do. Uh-huh. I might be on a. What did the uh, what 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 did the Clint say or Cliff say about the, that he's going to be under greater scrutiny? Uh-huh. Nobody wants to be under greater scrutiny. So definitely not. That's my read of the situation. Not if it's anything like we see Jimmy under this week. Because mm-hmm. good God. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I, I think we'll we'll agree to disagree on that, and listeners can chime in where as they see fit. Um, why is he refusing completely to talk to Kim? Is it is it just like this is not the right time as we're walking to a client, or is it he just? He doesn't want to talk about this. Well, I mean, one way you could read it, the way I would read it, is that he's just done. Like, I'm right. not going to do one thing, or no, I, I, I'm I, not going to try to help her. I'm not going to try to hurt her. I'm, I think, being passive aggressively, because, you know, Chuck told me to get her out of the doghouse, and I've done exactly what he wanted to fucking do. Right, and now I'm going to send her the lunch shit yeah. that she gets. I feel like they're trying that Howard is now trying to squeeze her out. Interesting. Like, not only okay. are you not on the partner track anymore, but I'm going. I mean, that just seems excessive to say you got to turn something around in an hour and fifteen minutes during lunchtime. But isn't that kind of opposing your argument that Howard is is the good guy here? Why no. would Howard squeeze her out well, if because Howard's Howard's pissed? Like this thing between him and but. Uh, the, he sees this thing between Jimmy and Chuck, and and Kim is in there mixed up in it too. And he would rather have her completely gone. That's the last tie that Jimmy has to the company. And then, okay. like if if Kim's gone from the company, Jimmy never sets foot in H H and M again, right? If Jimmy's gone, no. If Kim is gone, if Kim is gone, oh yeah, Jimmy never comes back. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. And I think at this point, Howard would like that, so he could go through the things. So he could just go back to normal. Okay. So he's been railroaded by Chuck. I, it's just not lining up for me, man. It's I, just not lining up that Chuck's the the bad guy here. I know, and I can't explain it further. I'm just repeating myself. So uh, right, like. right. Okay. Uh, let's move on then. Mike arrives at his house to see a guy sitting on his doorstep. Uh, I I think everybody here understands he's from the cartel. Yeah. The, sure. The guy asked if Mike knows Even why Mike, he's here. Mike he's understands like, it, yeah. No. No, I have no idea why you're here. Mm-hmm. Respectfully, because I don't want to get pistol whipped or anything, but mm-hmm. I have no idea why you're here. Wait, whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa. And the guy walks away and Mike goes inside. No, 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 no. He didn't deny he knew where he was there. He said he want, the, the old man wants his answer, and he said, respectfully, I'm going to have to say no to his the guy's request, which is to take the gun charge. Is that, what? Yep. Is that how that goes? Yep. Mm, okay. Anyway, the guy walks away. Mike goes inside where he sees where we see what he bought at the store, which is a welcome mat, some carbon paper, and some printer paper. Uh, and he lays the welcome mat outside his front door. I think we all know what's up here. Yeah, he's setting the... This was not a surprise in any way. Not like the, the RC car nah. uh, and the, the spray on the sure. the money and like all that stuff. That was a little more obfuscated. This yeah, is and if you didn't get it, you will soon see exactly what he's what he's up to. Right, uh, so Kim's trying to keep the defense from forcing the plaintiffs to hand over their medical records. Uh, she most likely loses this argument, but then she gets invited to lunch by Schweikert. Anything you want to talk about with this court scene? Or should we move to That's lunch? what I'm saying. Like, we are plowing through this episode because there, it's, it's they're all straightforward and very little kind of nuance to, to discuss. Right, and I think we'll, we'll get around to it closer to the end. But uh, we go to lunch, and Schweikert is trying to hire Kim away from HHM. Mm-hmm. 
that's essentially all there is here. There's mention of the Moscow Mule. Sure. Which uh, we found out that's, you know, similar to to one of uh, Vince Gilligan's drinks when he was in Albuquerque. I've gotten so confused about what's real and what is bald move stuff here that uh-huh. I honestly don't know. Has the, so when has we the were Moscow in... Mule or the New Mexican Mule actually been on the show before? Oh, I don't know if the Moscow Mule has been on the show. Or even the New Mexico, or anything with a copper mug. So as I recall, and I'm, my memory is bad, so this may be completely Plus wrong. Plus, we, with the whole fucking Bezos plot that we got into last year, like I'm, right. I honestly don't know what's an implanted memory at this point. <laughs> so as I recall, we went to the Breaking Bad Fan Fest. Yes. And uh, one of the people running it was telling us that uh, they took us to this bar called Zinc. Yep. And they said this is the place where the cast and crew would hang out because yep. it was one of Vince Gilligan's favorites. And when he came here, he would always order this New Mexico mule, which is a variation of the Moscow mule. Yeah. So what it, I think it I think it substituted tequila for vodka. I, and I everything can't remember else exactly what it was. The same. Right. And you could probably, you know, find out. I I didn't see it on their menu when I looked recently. Uh, so that's unfortunate. But every time I see they're taking or the New Mexico about, mule off the zinc menu, that's I know. Gillian needs to go back and say, "Look, I will, I will buy one of these every day. Just put it on my tab. If you keep it on the menu, no, no. One what it these, is, one is, a day uh, is not nearly enough. For, what it, make that worth it? What it is is uh, Bezos uh, felt footsteps behind him. Oh, he, he told him to, to harsh it. But right. then Vince strikes back by putting the the copper mug front and center. Right, the Moscow Mule. Uh, everybody's going to be looking for for copper mugs now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that every time I see a Moscow Mule uh, in relation to Breaking Bad, I always think New Mexico. He's pretty mule. prominent. I feel like that that's something that they this this is some kind of inside joke that they're which is again it's like a bald move inside joke. That's also a, apparently a Villa Gang inside joke. That's now part of the universe. It's really folding into itself for me. Yeah. Uh, Kim also says, you know, I was, I was in the mail room for six years. So I think that makes what we were kind of hypothesizing sure. about theorizing about last episode line up her, with them both being fourth year. Yep. yep. Her all that and Jimmy came up together. Exactly. Um, except for he didn't have any tuition assistance or anything like that. No. Or to go to a good school or go to any school. Really? Sure. He just kind of did it online. Yeah. Correspondence. Yeah, correspondence, banana slug style. Right. Uh, so what do you think about? It takes a long time for the slugs to crawl across the ocean with your with with your diplomas, especially with how salty it is. Oh yeah, I mean, like they, it's it's constant torment it's for one them. One in a hundred that makes it. Mm, maybe they uh, they tap the sea slugs. They're they're banana ah, brethren. Yeah, <laughs> they ride on the backs of the sea slugs. They, sure, I don't see. Th- think that helps them <laughs> with the salt water? But I know. Uh, okay, so what do you think about this offer from Schweikert? I feel. Like it's a trap, but I'm looking for all the traps. So I don't feel like it's a trap because if it's a trap, he's doing a bad, he's doing a pretty good job of of handcuffing himself because he's like, you're not going to work on Sandpiper, so you're not going to. There's going to be no conflict of interest. We're not going to pump you for details about the current strategy. Like this isn't essentially hiring a backup quarterback just for the playbook and then waving him. Uh, right, that's what he says. But sure. it's obviously, I mean, Kim's a smart person. He's a smart man. If you take one of their best guns, even if you just take it and put it on the shelf, right, that's one less gun that's pointed at you. Yep. And also, she's a talented lawyer, ambitious, that would probably do a good job for his firm. So it's a win-win for him, even if he's doing nothing that is what you would consider shady. Like I feel yeah. like it's, a, I feel like it's an above-the-board offer. Okay. 
Uh, there, there are some hooks to see where it might be a bit of a setup, but that's the general feeling I got too. I just wanted to raise that. I mean, there's that nothing question. that's ever suggested that Schweigert is a crook. Like we, we don't like right. him because he's representing a predatory nursing home or retirement home, but mm-hmm. that. And he's in direct opposition to our heroes, sure. which we don't like. Sure. But it, it, it being a, a, a trap, I don't know. Unless it's like a loyalty test that, you know, if there's something in Kim's contract that she can't have lunch with opposing lawyers. I, there's a little well, bit of law was, talk. There's a little thinking, bit of law talk about this 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 aspect. Right. Uh, when, when he gets into like, oh, we need to have a formal meeting and prepare some paperwork and sure. stuff like that. Maybe there could be a trap hidden in there. Like... Oh, she took a meeting with Schweikert and Coakley. Uh, that might get her, I don't know, kicked to the curb at HHM. Who, who knows? Maybe it does, but then she's got the plum job over it. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe this is literally just I, I a know. way to get her off the defense team. That uh, would be. And, that would and definitely really change my her. opinion of Schweikert, because right now I don't <laughs> right. think he's necessarily bad. And I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what about his story here? It's just basically how shitty it is to work when... With people who don't have your back, right? Yeah, and they, you know, like that's the thing about. I do believe that he could completely make this story up to appeal to Kim and, like, you know, find common cause with her. So I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in it. I don't dismiss it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's more interesting to see Kim's reaction to it to see her. You know, she feels loyalty because, and I guess that's something that makes sense. Like I, I don't know. I've had a similar experience where in my. Uh, in my youth, in my in my late twenties, I was working for like one of my very first you know programming gig jobs, and it you know it was right after the tech bubble, and everyone around me kept getting let go, and the team, but my you know the 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 bosses were always saying, "Ah, oh, you're such a core, and we're going to see that we're going to weather the storm," and and I was working seventy five, eighty hour weeks until there was like literally six people left, and then one day they came in and like, "Yeah, hey, we can't make payroll. It's done." I'm like son of a bitch. Yeah, and then I realize, oh, this is loyalty, stupid to companies. You know, right? Like maybe they have your back, maybe they don't. But it depends best on the company. Like but sure, sure. Like it depends on the atmosphere and how you feel about the company. But for the most part, they're out to make money, and regardless of the cost to their employees. Yeah. So she's trying to weigh the loyalty she feels to this company that gave her a chance. She's the mailroom girl that was super sharp and. And and they propped her up and and, mm-hmm. and gave her this law degree. She couldn't gotten on her own. Saw the potential when no one else did. Maybe yeah. Uh, versus man, they're shitting on me, and I feel like I just bumped into the ceiling hard, and I'm never going anywhere unless Chuck and or Howard both die. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I might be able to make happen. Maybe no, she I- needs. I was gonna say maybe <laughs> she needs Mike's business card. Right. Uh, but no, I. That's. I mean, what do you think? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I I took it pretty much at face value. I think this guy is is telling the truth about this story, and I think he's offering a real job. And I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a trap or anything. I don't know. I I think this is a real offer, something she needs to consider. And it it's it almost makes the end of the episode less uh, important if it's not right. Uh-huh. Like because I I want her to consider the real offers and the real implications and consequences, not. Sure get duped by them yeah and i, I don't guess. think it would it would hurt my image of kim if she got duped honestly yeah um although she's also doing this kind of scam thing and she's kind of a neophyte at that so i mean hmm. maybe this will get all 
twisted up into that. I don't know. We'll see. Mike gets home at night, and he checks his welcome mat alarm system. And apparently there were a couple of people at his door. So he creeps inside, he finds them, he beats them, and he sends them away. <laughs> and then he goes in the kitchen, he cleans up some blood, and sees that his hand is shaking. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt I felt like that Seppenwall made a fairly good point with the fact that this show is making no attempt to hide Jonathan Banks' age. Like, everyone else that they are doing, you know... I mean, think of any other example of people that are not getting, like, the full makeup treatment and everything that is in the makeup department's power to make them look 10 years younger. Right. And he thinks that's a deliberate artistic choice because it's helping him. Like, you know, Mike is playing this guy who's the world is beating down. He's world-weary, and he doesn't want to do this, and he knows... But he's just getting so tired, and it's like it's his visible aging is actually helping the char- the Mike the character portray all that. You know, not that Jonathan Banks needs a lot of help, but it's like you know mm-hmm. every little bit. Like sure. it's an intentional choice rather than you know Jonathan Banks like get the fuck out of my trailer this makeup <laughs> shit. You know. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Do you think just to be clear, Jonathan Banks is nothing like Mike. Like yeah. if you listen to the Breaking Bad Insider cast, yeah, like he's he's a real nice guy, you know. He's sure. not. He he's more like he is with Kaylee. Like yeah. that's closer to the real Jonathan Banks, yeah, uh, than Mike. Certainly, I will I will go out on a limb and saying there's. Pr- it seems like the one of the things Vince Gilligan's passionate about is not hiring assholes, yeah, because he doesn't have the temperament to put up with them. So he hires a bunch of nice people that are driven and professional. So that he doesn't have to be, uh, you know, I, I, that's my guess of of his management style. So it doesn't surprise me. I mean, mm-hmm. you can say that about everybody, like the the cousins, yeah. like they seem like such dangerous badasses. And I think they have the potential to be so, but like in real life, they're super nice and friendly and funny. Yeah, all these guys are. Right. Uh, I I really like this scene a lot. I just mm-hmm. love watching Mike do his thing. Sure. And uh, even though it's a real slow scene and they take their time with it. Uh, I, it's just compelling. I was a bit imp- I I actually liked the stuff after he kicked them in the ass and sent them hmm. on their way. Uh, I like him cleaning the blood off the gun and his you know the, the the handshaking. You know, it's very Captain Miller from Saving Private Ryan. Um, but him just sweeping his apartment, I was I thought I found tedious. Okay, I did not. Uh, I I do really like that line though. Once he beats him down, just we're we were just supposed to scare you. It's like, try harder next time. <laughs> right. I don't <laughs> know if that's line. the way you want to roll with these guys, but... Well, do you, uh, it's Mike. My He's question is, it. do you get the impression that this was kind of his plan all along? That he want? No, there's no way. That, that he <laughs> wanted to get more money so he could pay back Nacho? Or was he going to try to roll tough on these guys to see if maybe they would back down, that stick to the original plan and... And he had a kind of a mental calculus of, I don't want to die, and I don't want my granddaughter to die, but there's this line where maybe if I give just enough resistance, they'll be like, well, you know, Tuco's more trouble than it's worth, and if we murder this old man and family, God knows what kind of blowback that'll get. And he just, it, it didn't go his way, so then he went back plan B, which is to get enough money to pay back Nacho. Uh, I don't know that any of this has to do with Nacho. Certainly... What do you so, mean? I mean, he does pay back Nacho. But this is fifth. not okay. This is not the point. The point is, Mike wants to get the money so that he can get Kaylee and Stacy out of their house, but then like, in, into a new house. Rather. But he delivered. I'm saying it doesn't have nothing to do with Nacho because he asked for fifty grand, right? 
which I don't know why twenty five grand is the magic number he needs, but uh, it's not. I I don't think twenty five is going to help. I mean, unless he's talking about a down payment on a house, that might be. I don't. I don't think twenty five is going to do it because it's not like Kaylee and her mom are indigent. I mean, they've got right. She's making money. It's just mm-hmm. not enough to the significantly upgrade. Sure. Uh, so I I don't know. I I didn't think this was all like part of the plan. I think he's making it up as he goes. Okay. And and he realizes here, you know, indicated by his handshaking, he's in a little too deep with this cartel business. He he doesn't feel comfortable like he usually does. Do you think that he thought that Kaylee was safe? Because that's uh, my first yeah, thought the when part. when the guys came to his apartment, I'm like, "Oh man, they're going to easily make the connection between his family and they're going to like I fully expected somebody to show up at the hotel. I didn't know it was going to be across the building and the and the cousins necessarily, but right. uh I was surprised that he was surprised that mm-hmm. that happened so quickly. Okay. Uh, so Ken's about to go to lunch when someone tells her Howard wants her to do some work before then. Uh, and she says, okay, fine. And she leaves. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, just picks up her bag, walks out the door and goes to lunch. Yep. She's done. She's like, really? That's what Howard wants? I mean, that's essentially her quitting, right? Uh, like, I don't, because that's the thing with both her and Jimmy. I feel like they made the same choice. Like they're on a, they're with a, they're at a precarious place at their employers. Yeah. Neither one of them really no, any longer feels passionate about being there. I feel like most of Kim's enthusiasm was killed by her busting her ass and Howard giving her the finger last episode. Jimmy has been checked out from the jump, and now yeah. he's got Aaron breathing down his neck even more so. I feel like they both. It's a weird symmetrical play. They're both like, you know what? We're just going to play hooky and damn the consequences. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, it seems like, uh, yeah, like, especially Jimmy. How many times can you walk out on Aaron with that Cliff coming in his office and putting his guitar up your ass? Right. (laughs) Not many more, I imagine. Playing a six-string saw, you know? Uh, We go back to Mike, who's watching Kaylee swim at the pool at the hotel. And he sees the, the cousins up on the rooftop. And they threaten Kaylee and then leave. These are, uh, of course, the Moncada brothers, Daniel and Luis Moncada, reprising their role as the, as the cousins. This uh, is the one I was concerned. I was worried about this because I knew from the previews last week that this was going to happen. Unless uh, the, the cameos are still a little much for me, but you know what are you going to do? I mean, my my point is the same that like Tuco is the original sin, right? And I know we both got our bitch on about the way they used him in last season and kind of how it was buffoonish, you know, kind of buffoonish and silly. But I felt like his return makes perfect sense. And if you buy his interaction with Mike in that taqueria back, you know, four, what, three episodes ago, you everything else makes perfect sense. Mm hmm. Like it makes perfect sense that Crazy Eight would be there. It makes perfect sense that you right. know Uncle I've never Tio. said it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't sit well with me that all of these cameos are happening back to back to back to back now. But four episodes in a row. But I, I just don't understand because again, like my problem with the Star Wars cameos is they just literally came out of nowhere. I just don't want to have this argument. We talked about this for fifteen minutes last episode. I just okay. don't want to do it again. Uh, it's not interesting. People don't care what I think. Uh, so Kim drinks a Moscow Mule alone at the bar. And uh, th- she's kind of pondering this uh, Schweikert and Coakley offer. Wait, before we move on, uh-huh. fine, if you don't want to have that argument, um, I do want to talk about the scene a bit. Did you find okay. it effective? Because like, I, you know, since I don't mind the cousins being there, I actually found them 
the the key the, the the key benefit of having them is they're effortlessly menacing in the way that the guy sitting on Mike's doorstep was not. Right. He almost looks like the rookie enforcer. Yeah, like I'm know? thinking Mike's just going to roll this guy yeah. down the street, no problem. Uh-huh. The cousins show up and I don't even think you need to be familiar with Breaking Bad to see that this is final boss territory. I think you're right. The way they frame those shots, the yeah. way they're, 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 yeah, they're kind of like framed heroically. They got the suits. Um, also, it was like um, I'm Facebook friends with Dave Porter from the interview we did uh-huh. years and years and years ago. He's the composer for Breaking Bad, and he told a story that he had to go way deep in his archives to find the musical cue for the cousins that he mm. recorded in his apartment that he shared a, a he sh- he lived next door to a percussionist and they like just sat in his apartment one day with a microphone and some bongo drums and some weird south american instruments and made their musical cue which most people it's recognizable as like a kind of a rattlesnake thing uh-huh. which wasn't prominent in this particular one but the 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 one thing that was prominent was almost like a a distant lawnmower sound <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it's. I think it's the same instrument that is running through a different level of reverb and effects. And mm-hmm. um, but I thought that was just like a swim with the fishes sort of thing. Like we're gonna mow your lawn. I don't like. know because it does. Like there's definitely a the rattlesnake, but when you when you slow it down and pitch it differently, it sounds like you're like you know the reverberations you hear from like a lawnmower going sure. by. Yeah, and that's in fact the first time I heard it, I thought like God damn, that sounds like a lawnmower in the background suddenly. But then I went and found like the actual cousin's theme and and, and saw that. But he makes it seem like he had to go in his closet and get his zip drives out and like, you know, because he doesn't know the guy anymore and he's not in the same apartment and yeah. like what do you do if you have to just completely remake it? Huh. Um, and also, what do you think about Jonathan Banks' performance on his face? Like, it felt like he I it was it, good. It, it looked like he's having a stroke. Like just random nostrils are flaring. And lips were curling, and eyebrows uh, were twitching, and his ears were flapping. Like, so there's a story behind that. Is there? In okay. The, in the Insider podcast, yeah. Apparently, uh, the first time they shot this, it was like Vince Gilligan or wh- whoever. It, it might have been the director, Michael Slovis. Yes. Uh, who who was saying like, look, Jonathan, uh, I, I like your performance and all of this, but you're just not giving me quite enough when you look at the cousins. So he gave him everything? No, no, no. So he they go back and they do reshoots. My, Jonathan Banks is about to get on a plane to, okay. to get the fuck out of there because yeah. the shooting is over. Instead, he he comes back on set there, and Kay- Kaylee's not in the pool during this, so don't worry. It's like 35 degrees outside. Uh-huh. Mike has to stand there in his short sleeve T-shirt, and he is freezing his balls off. Like, everybody else is in parkas and gloves. So he's and literally shivering? And that's, literally, uh, yeah. He can't keep a straight face because he's shivering and freezing cold, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they digitally composited <laughs> like six <laughs> takes worth of facial features because it was like he... like it it. I mean, I'm saying like he had a stroke. It didn't look like an old man having a stroke. It looked like a guy just shaking in fury and fear. He was shaking from cold. But, but it was something else. Yeah. It was some, some kind of performance. All right, now we can move on. Okay. Uh, Kim drinks a Moscow Mule alone at the bar. She ponders this uh, Schweikert and Coakley offer and almost calls him when she sees a guy kiss a woman goodbye outside. That guy comes in, buys her a drink, and Kim decides, I'm going to scam him. Uh, th- these are the same names. She she gives him the same name that she used with Kim yeah. Wins, right, Giselle? I think so. I-, I think it was Victor and Giselle. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 
almost 100% sure on that. I didn't go back and look. I, I assumed it. In fact, I didn't even doubt it until you asked me. I'm like, oh, shit, I should have looked that up. But right. I just, yeah, it's a South African couple. Yeah. They're brother and sister. You kind of, you do get the impression that, like, even before she calls Jimmy that she's kind of thinking about this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to scam this guy. So it's really an interesting turning point for her. Like, is she going to call and take this job and continue down this path, or is she going to call Jimmy and have a little fun? And she makes the the decision to call Jimmy. My question is, this guy at the bar, is he just like a pro bono gigolo? It's a real good question. (laughs) Like, it's a turnstile, man. Is he kissing his wife goodbye? Is this a woman that he bought... Another drink somewhere. I'm telling you, he just he just works his New Mexican mule or Moscow mule, and and it seems like Kim points that out. Yeah, like she says, how how much luck are you having with this this drink thing? Like return on sure. investment, whatever. So I is do they come to like some understanding that we're just gonna have a conversation now? In that moment? Well, or... I thought that that was a deliberate choice of words too. Like her saying return on investment was. Either her subconsciously, or I think she's already starting to like. I'm going to see if I can do this like Jimmy did, and then I'm going to, you know, do reverse Jimmy because I think she was ready to forgive him. I don't know why, because again, Jimmy is the root cause of all of her failures right now. It's seven days of Jimmy calling up and singing South Pacific songs to her, right? I guess. I mean, it's Jimmy's a charming guy, and if he can, I know he's going to weasel his way back. Like that once for warriors, man. He's uh, Jimmy's Tamuria. What uh, Jake the Mus? Uh huh. And one moment he's like, "Fix me some eggs, bitch," and the next he's got the guitar out crooning. But right, it's still a bad idea, Kim. It's sure. still a bad idea. Yeah, she seems to she seems to be coming down on the side here, though, uh, which we'll we'll get to later. Uh, so Jimmy's being grilled by uh, what did you say this this girl's Aaron. name is? Aaron. It's easy uh, for me to remember. Right <laughs> over some some paperwork, some legal shit. And he gets uh, Jimmy gets a call from Kim who invites him to join her for the scam, and he shows up and they go to work on this guy Dale, uh, and then they're talking something about an online dating site back in what is this two thousand eight yeah like they essentially got two thousand something match dot com or yeah okay with a bunch Cupid of investors or, and they're yeah. full up and then teasing yeah. this guy about him not being able to get on, on such a hot deal yeah it's the classic no no we can't possibly right. let you participate in this scam scam uh-huh like the fact it's that reverse you, psychology yeah the fact that yeah the fact that you're you they can't be scamming me because they don't want to be scamming me like right yeah it's he has to work to get in on this great deal <laughs> sure sure uh so i i don't know i found that that stuff entertaining Again, and they wisely cut it short, right? We don't need to see the Ken wins scenario here where they're they're charming him and like the engineer stuff was enough. Uh-huh. And then you can just cut straight to the check, which they do later. Uh, Mike meets with Hector where he negotiates for $50,000 in exchange for his cooperation with the gun charge. And then afterward, Nacho delivers the cash to Mike's house. And Mike gives him half of it as repayment for failing to send Tuco away for as long as they thought he was going away for. A controversial opinion alert. I think Daniel is out Mad Dog and Luis in this scene. Oh, yeah. Don't tell Luis that. Starting starting some brother brotherly rivalry going. <laughs> but yeah, like he he's been wor- he's I feel like he's been he's been working on it the last seven years. Luis uh, is just coasting. It was also it was Daniel in the bed. Uh, in in the season three, yeah, the the surviving cousin, right? Yes, who was in the hospital bed. Yes. Okay, 
He's and not the he, one that got. He has a pretty good Mad Dog. I mean, he was sure. Mad Dog and Walt. They're both. They're they're both pretty. So like, hard. I, they both scare me shitless. So I'm just saying that, yeah. like, you know, if you're if you're judging on that, the the thing I got excited about is like, you know, talking to them. Their biggest regret, uh, now that they got the suits and the axe, is they didn't get the boots. The boots were these custom made jobs that got sold at all or something like that. Do you think Vince lets them keep the boots this time around? I would hope so. They give give I mean, the, the brothers the boots, the boot, man. The coat, the, that shark skin, like they got all that. They just were missing the boots. They got the boots. They got the whole thing. Oh, he's got the coat. Yeah, no, they they had huh. those suits on them. At, at the Breaking Bad fan yeah, fest, yeah. I know. I okay. I may or may not have worn that jacket before. <laughs> it's like took your life into your hands uh, <laughs> trying on the threads, man. May or may not. May or may uh, not. But yeah, it uh, plausible deniability here. What did you think of the the scene? Between Mike and Tio, Hector. Uh, I thought it was great. It's the rarely seen city seated holstered Mexican standoff. Right. No guns are out, but all guns are still metaphorically pointed at everybody. They're all kind of on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's it's great. Like I I think Mike is willing to die here. I don't I don't know that. Because if he dies, there's no reason for them to go that's after right. Haley. I, that's that's and, I, and that, I thought it was a no lose scenario for him because right. you know all he wants to do is provide for Kaylee and his his daughter in law. Yeah, and if he dies, then I don't know how he would get the twenty five k to them, but I'm sure he's taking some kind of measure. Right, but you you got to think also the heat might be off them. Yeah, right? oh, no, yeah. Why would the Mex Why would the Mexican cartel fuck with his family? Because the charge should now just go away. Right. Is it just out of principle? Like, you I know mean, what? I we were going to do this before he died. We're going to do it after. There's no, I mean, the Maybe, other thing but... is, uh, I do believe Mike would take Hector with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Certainly. So, uh, so we now, know that can't happen. I guess the real question is, is Mike out in the clear? Like, is Hector going to let him get away with, is this like a job of the hut? thermal detonator situation i feel like it like because he earned a little respect here maybe maybe or maybe like that's how he gets comment. in that you know i'm always seeing how he gets in you know how does yeah, mike yeah. get into the real underworld maybe this is the connection maybe he gets record like we thought that he would go to gus for protection but maybe the cartel recommends him to gus mm-hmm. as as some north american muscle uh because yeah on the one hand they do, he does earn their respect but on the other hand like i've seen enough mob movies to know that you know uh, Nacho could have come over the 50k and ganked him too. So right, yeah. Or you get in, start your car the next morning, and it blows up. I know, suppose it's it's possible that the cartel continues to push this threat on Kaylee, on Mike, even though he's done his job. Like afterward, they still come to him. Look, you're going to do more jobs for us, sure. And if not, we're going to take out the people you love. So. I'm just saying we know from Scarface that Hector is a car bomb specialist. It's true. You don't, you don't, you know, that's, that's his speciality. But we know he can't bomb Mike's car because Mike has the same car in Breaking Bad. <laughs> well, so, uh, so, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I forgot to, the, uh, to talk about this thing with Mike's apartment, the tediousness. Oh, okay. I know Mike can't die. Right. And that's, I guess that is the thing. Like, I'm amazed at how much tension they're able to generate in the sweep of the apartment and him sitting across from, from Hector. But I literally know there's no possible scenario in which Mike can die, yeah. which really does take a lot of tension out of this. Mike can't die. Kaylee can't die. I have, I've been referring to him as the sister, the daughter-in-law because I honestly – Stacy. Stacy yeah. can't die. Saul can't – I mean, Jimmy hasn't been putting in a lot of threat lately, so that's still interesting. But 
putting Mike in danger isn't a thing they can go down very often, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, how severe do you want the consequences? Do you need the consequences to be before their consequences? Like, can Mike get the shit beat out of him like he did with well, Tuco? Well, sure. Uh, is that enough of a consequence to make you worry for Mike in the moment? Well, I mean, I guess the only consequence is Mike's soul, right? Which we kind of know he's, sort of where that ends and, up. Like, yeah, and I know. So is that, that's almost in the same boat. But it's still like it's interesting in like a Greek tragedy kind of way. Which right. what I'm saying is that's an interesting point. So putting Mike in danger, and yeah, I don't know. But at the same time, you can't see him just not be in danger ever right because like because that's the pressure that creates that makes boring yeah, yeah yeah that creates boring character development and that's kind of his life i do, I do feel like it is a, a bit of a problem with me though okay understandable uh also i i think mike's willing to die here because i don't believe he's the kind of guy who bluffs i don't think mike ever bluffs well and that's why i think Tio uh backed down because yeah. he saw that like look at the balls on this guy he's going right. to do you do it you do it yep uh, and, and we also, I think we're supposed to understand that Tugo will likely be back and it will be an issue. Uh, an issue Mike, for... Mike says, look, this guy is not going away for nearly as long as we thought, and your problem's coming back. How so, long is he going away for? Because I still thought he was going to do, yeah, like, not the 8 to 10 that Mike was hoping for, but right. does, like, does he two, get sentenced three. for, like, 3 to 4, and he gets out in 1 or 2 for good behavior? Is Tuco a kind of guy that just does his time? I th- I think they're going to put this to bed a little bit and they're going to br- they're going to wake it up a while from now. I mean it might be at the least convenient point. I could for see Nacho. I could see this being the end game for Saul to the better call Saul. Right. Right with Tuco just getting out and being angry and as many people reminded me of my theory last e- week that maybe he'd kill Nacho to make this go away. We think that Ignacio is the notch, the same Nacho, the same Ignacio that uh, uh, Saul's talking about in the desert in, in Better Call Saul. Or, I'm sorry, in, in Breaking Bad. Right. So if it would make sense if if we've got an end game here that doesn't extend beyond the life of, Be- of Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. that Tuco would be involved in it. Yeah. And I mean, we don't know 100% that nacho is still alive in the time of breaking bad let me tell you let me let, I, I, let me ask let me test the waters for another cameo for you okay we know that skinny pete does time with tuco that's right during this era that's right will you accept a cold open where tuco is sharing a very uncomfortable cell hell with yeah skinny pete? just not next episode <laughs> just <laughs> save it for season three baby. all right all right i don't understand the spacing requirement but okay I, it just doesn't sit right with me uh, okay, so in the morning, Jimmy gets ready to leave, Kim, leave Kim's house, and she tells him about the job offer that she got from Schweiger and Coakley. He says she should take it, but she's really not sure about it, and then she confesses she feels guilty for pushing him out of the pool and into the Davison main job, uh, where he's clearly not happy. And as they leave, Jimmy gets fed up with the cup holder in his car, pries it out to make room for the mug. Which, you know, More perfectly, perfectly a fine solution to the problem, I think. Yeah. Uh, I also just want to note the difference between Jimmy Sendoff from, like, episode two, where she's kind of, like, tapping her foot and, oh, you got you got some place to be. You got to get to work to now where they're going out as a couple and kissing. Right. Uh, a lot different. Yeah. I mean, I think 
this all hinges on Kim understanding Jimmy a lot better, you know? Before, he tried to explain it, and she didn't get it. Now she's kind of been through a little bit of shit of her own, and she's starting to come around to Jimmy's idea of making your own path, doing what you want. However, Jimmy is still steadfastly refusing to level with her. Like, everything he says to her is a fucking lie. Right, it's almost like flip-flopped, right? Like, to where Kim is now supportive of Jimmy... Jimmy's but trying to be too supportive of Kim, thinking that's what she wants. But I feel like Kim's a genuine thing, where uh-huh. Jimmy, like subconsciously, is just running a scam on Kim. He's telling her what she wants to hear to in keep this her on scene? the hook. Yeah, no, not in just in every scene. I can't think of a ga- of a scene since last season where Jimmy is not running a con on Kim. I think it's the when they get out of the pool and they go into the bar. I mean, he's trying to honestly explain who he is sure. and what he wants, you're and right. she doesn't get it. But from that, yeah, you're right. That's, so that is the wins. last time that I can think that he wasn't conning her. And sure, I yeah. I mean, the, the cobbler stuff on, definitely, yes. he's... Yeah, once she shut him down and said that, that he's still taking it to heart, and I felt like this was an opportunity for them both to level with each other, and Jimmy didn't take the opportunity. Right. It, it's, that's why I say it's like a reversal of that, that bar scene after the pool, because they're, they're both on opposite sides now. Jimmy wants to try to do right by what he thinks Kim wants and it's going to take some convincing to for him to understand that's not actually what she wants for him anymore you know yeah and that she gets him well and she also could change her mind again like right well you know this is all well and good to take a thousand ten thousand dollar check that you're never going to cash uh-huh. uh i gotta ask a question though is this ice station zebra check because jimmy hints that hey i can know a guy that could help us cash this is this uh-huh. going to be the seed money for the saul goodman law firm could be like Could that, be. that this... I, here's the thing like when you go to cash a check do they do they compare it to the founding date of your company to see if you made the company well, before or I after the check he's was suggesting written? taking this to any kind of bank i think he's right and and also there's a lot of other problems with it he's, that, he's gonna yeah and also like a check is what void after 90 or 180 days like oh, i don't i think that almost every check you write has something on the back about that being the case i don't think any check is good in perpetuity but yeah i don't know uh i just feel like that that's the fact that it's on the mirror is going to be significant somehow right i i think we're definitely meant to to notice the name on this check and connect the dots between this and breaking bad and what we know about that sure uh d- People, people are sometimes calling this an Easter egg. I don't know how I feel about that. To me, it's just connecting. It's connective tissue with the plot. Well, it's an Easter egg because I think that you have to be pretty much in the inner circle of Breaking Bad fandom. Like I, I think it's an I Easter egg so. in the fact that like Cracked could put a top five Easter eggs in Breaking yeah. in Better Call Saul. Top and, ten things you didn't notice about you didn't know about Better yeah, Call Saul. And ninety percent of Breaking Bad fans would be like, "Oh, Ace Station Zebra, cool," you know. Because right. any if you're listening to a Better Call Saul podcast, you are in the one percent yeah. of Breaking Bad Better Call Saul fans because mm-hmm. the vast majority of people don't, you know. So sure, yeah, I can definitely. It's an Easter egg in in terms of that. Um, but it does. But feel it also, weird. I feel is setting up some plot, yeah, some plot stuff going forward because we Certainly. know kind of where that ends up, and because we know it's significant to Saul later on. And that he's still using it as a holding company, and to the fact that he says that he knows a guy who can make this check real, that does I think you're supposed to. If you're in that one percent, you're supposed to know that aha, there's going to be something coming on. This is, you know, a checkoff's check. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not on the mantle, but it's 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 on a mirror. It's pretty close. Yep. 
And then we get more metaphor for how, you know, Jimmy and Kim are just not fitting into his new life at all. He he has to bust his cup holder out of his car, make some space for it. I, I can't see him trying to make this all work lasting very long. No. He's, he's, he's getting fed up already. Yeah. There, there's no way. He's defying his true nature. There's nothing that can be done to preserve and this. What is going to happen with Kim when she talk when she goes back after playing hooky with Howard? What's going to happen to him when he goes back to Cliff and he's played hooky with Aaron? Like, it's all well and good to be like, oh, let's be rebels. Ah, fuck the world. Um, you know, is there right. is, is what's going on at the S and C offer? Mm-hmm. It's it's this is a nice moment where Jimmy has continued to be dishonest with Kim, uh, but it seems like you know they're riding off into some stormy weather. Definitely, there's and it's tons all... of conflict already primed to go off in the next episode, and it's all Jimmy focused too, right? It's like, what does Jimmy want more? Like th- that's the real question: Does he want Kim more, or does he want to be Jimmy more? Yeah, and I don't f- know. Th- those things are starting to converge a little bit. The mm-hmm. more Kim gets on board with the idea sure. of who Jimmy is, the more they come closer together. But I don't think they're ever going to meet in the middle. Or I, I think do, that's going to be the core tension. If they do, what's the disaster blows that up? Yeah. The one that's I'm really curious about is it seems like Mike's story is kind of done for the moment. There's no immediate conflict in his future other than, you know, Hector coming and putting a hit on him just because of the yeah. balls on this guy, which we know can't work. Mm-hmm. So what does Mike do now? Well, like I said earlier, I think he might be forced into more jobs for the cartel. Right. Because um, you're right. Twenty five grand is not going to keep your stepdaughter safe and happy indefinitely. Sure. If she yeah. wants a nicer house or a bit bigger, better house. And also, I've, we didn't talk about this either in trying to hustle past a pool scene. Kaylee's not happy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of a surprising to me because the way her mom was thinking is like, oh, yeah, she thinks it's awesome. We're staying in a hotel all the time. But Kaylee is missing whatever. I don't know what a little kid misses about having a home or being in a home or Whatever, yeah. but essentially it's like, you know, is this vacation ever going to end? And that's got to weigh heavily. It's not just Stacy. It's it's now Kaylee complaining, too. Right. So. Yeah, we'll see where his story goes. I mean, I I wouldn't mind a little more focus on Chuck and Jimmy going forward. Um, mm. You know, now that Mike is kind of, uh, that story is coming to a close for the time being. Uh, maybe they can jump back in with Chuck and Jimmy to kind of round out the season. What was this episode 206 or 205? Honestly, I, I would like a lot more. This is 206. It's 206, uh, okay. I, I would like a lot more confrontation between kind of the foursome that I see. Chuck, mm. Howard, Jimmy, and Kim. I want to see that kind of get out of, in the open a little bit more. Right. Like everybody's kind of got their ulterior motives right now. I want some of those motives to become known and deal with the consequences as we come to the end of the season. And this is a ten episode season, so we're only we've only got four more episodes before this stuff all has to come come together. Yeah, or has to come together in the next four episodes. So, wow, we're really in the downhill stretch. Yep. Uh, do you think Kim is from Kansas City? Kim she's, is from Kansas City. She's wearing a Kansas City Royals shirt. I, I mean, it, never... I'm, I'm just curious. I hmm. no, I guess I'm. That's I didn't even notice. That's I don't. I don't know where she's from, and she's wearing this big ass Kansas City Royal shirt. I, I don't think it's Jimmy's, although we've seen her in Jimmy's clothes before. Right. So maybe he's it is not from Kansas City at all. Right. I. I don't think so. Where Where are he and Chuck from? Do we know? Yeah, from Chicago, Cicero. I guess he did grow up there, didn't he? 
I mean, that's they, they own the corner store there. I mean, yeah, they grew up there. From right, the right, because the story with the dad, yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, and that's it. That's it for the episode. You know, we've been we've been pushing on the advertising portions of the podcast. We've been pushing the club a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, well and good because it helps us, helps the listeners, club.ballmove.com. But when the Villa gang has the temerity to throw a copper mug in my face to flaunt the, the Villigan... Uh, Jeff Bezos, Amazon conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I, I really can't take that lying down. You know, the reason Jeff Bezos has, has launched a one-man war against Bald Move is because we used Amazon.baldmove.com link. You go there, you get all the same prices, you get all the same shipping policies. The dirty little secret is we siphon pennies a time, precious copper pennies from Jeff Bezos and his Amazon engine. Why he's hoarding all this copper, I don't know. But they're making making the the connections pretty explicit here in this episode. Uh, it's up to you. I mean, if you want to roll over and let this tyrant steal the world's copper supply, uh, do nothing. Do nothing. You know that's what, that's what happens when good men do nothing. Some guy in in on the west coast sucks up all the world's copper. But if you and if you want to space, who knows? Who knows what he's doing with it? Who knows indeed? Uh, but if you if you want to join the uh, conspir the the conspiracy against it, if, uh, the the resistance, if you will, uh, not the copper has a lot of resistance. It's kind of famous for its low resistance. Pro- <laughs> bad symbol, bad 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 <laughs> metaphorical symbol. I'm choosing here. Uh, but if you want to join the the copper resistance, uh, you can do so by using Amazon.baldmove.com. For all your online Amazon shopping needs, it'll help out Bald Move and 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 put Bezos on notice. Okay, uh, we do have feedback. All right, if you'd like to send us more, you can send do so at bettercastsaul at baldmove dot com or on forums dot com. If you'd like to discuss it with us and our fellow fans, uh, Jeff W says Jim seems to be bothered by the Breaking Bad the cameos in season two. Well, here's your perspective from your friendly neighborhood non-Breaking Bad fan. In other words, Jeff W. has never seen Breaking Bad. He came in as a virgin. To then Better I don't want to hear it. I, if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, I don't want to know you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm cramming <laughs> it down your throat, man. I, I have no idea that these characters that you guys are talking about were from Breaking Bad show, and I have to say that nothing unusual stood out to me. Tuco and the young drug dealer from Episode 4 seemed totally legit and well-realized and well-acted characters that fit the story. Same with the older guy who appeared at the end of episode five, a representative from the cartel who's putting the squeeze on Mike. Uh, this came in before the Cousins episode, so I I imagine he'd say the same thing. Right. So as I say, it's probably the definitive test about whether these are effective characters or fan service cameos. If someone's unfamiliar with the previous material, doesn't notice anything strange, and thinks the characters fit in, then I say that it works just fine. I'd say these prequel versions of character these are prequel versions of characters and not cameos. Are you persuaded by the non-Breaking Bad argument? Here's the thing. He doesn't have to persuade me on that argument because that's not my argument. My argument, and I realized this and I said this last episode, is completely irrational. Like, it's just a thing that bugs me for no real reason. Okay. Uh, but I think, like you said, um, and like Jeff's saying, it's to- it totally makes sense why these events would happen this way and these characters would show up. I just have some irrational, reflexive sort of negative reaction to it. Uh, Sarah L. said, you guys disagreed on a previous episode about the undertone and Chuck asking Kim to make him a cup of coffee when he rolled into HHM in the middle of the night. Yeah. If I remember correctly, Aaron was the one thinking Chuck was being disrespectful to Kim, and Jim argued something like, no, he's just asking a friend to make him coffee because he doesn't at all have a history of making people go out of their way to appease his idiotic conspiracy of a psychosomatic illness. <laughs> I think she's she's putting her thumb on one side of this debate. I think so, yeah. I, I see where this 
this is going. <laughs> it's a character assassination. Oh, really, it is. In the context of the episode, we're, I, I believe we're absolutely meant to understand that he is treating her like a secretary. This was Kim's lean-in episode. She's busting ass to pull in clients. She's busting ass in doc review. She's busting ass, quote-unquote, her way. He knows her working life has been awful lately and has had an opportunity to ask his company-paid-for manservant to brew him a, cough, uh, brew him a pot before he left. This, wait, wait, the security guard? No, he remember he's assigned like some kind of intern to cater to his every needs, which I didn't pick up on, but he dismisses right. this guy not needing coffee. But I assume that guy's gone, right? Or is that guy just hanging around the building waiting to drive him home? He would have to, I think wouldn't he? he? Drove, did he drive himself? No, this guy, night? I think the guy met him. Anyway, th- he was okay. there and he didn't need coffee and then Kim shows up and he does need coffee. Um, I do. Right. I feel like I've softened a bit, and that he wanted her to have. He wanted a, a conversation to have with him, and then when she wasn't having it, he did the coffee thing, which he realized was coming. Came off badly as he said it, but what is he going to do? So I don't know if this is the emailer, but I saw some people email in comparing his relationship with Rebecca to this scene. Yeah, this and is I the think, next. Let's, okay. let's let's go to this. I think that's um, a better point, and and one that I can't really argue with. Uh, well, maybe this isn't, because I know I put that in there, too. Anyway, it goes, this is the first episode we've really seen Chuck interact with women, and unfortunately, in addition to his insecurity manifesting as tinfoil armor, he just has this, quote-unquote, old-ass white man syndrome. I bristled at the interactions between him and his wife, too. It sounds like she has been pretty successful in her career, and yet he still feels the need to advise her on how to handle her employees. Right, this is the email. You could say the conversation was innocent or meant merely to tell us about Chuck's management style, but the writers chose it carefully, and I think it helps us understand a hell of a lot more more about Chuck in this, these very small exchanges. Yeah, that's a persuasive argument. I like that. You know, it's weird because I I feel like if a professional couples, I I don't know how he phrased it. If he says, "Oh, let me advise you," that does seem patronizing. Mm-hmm. But if they're talking about employee issues, it would be weird if he just. I mean, I guess maybe the proper thing to do would be wait for her to ask for his advice. But, but you get the impression also that they have talked about this before. Yeah. Like she has clearly told him, oh, I'm having a problem with an employee at yeah. work. And like, I don't know what the nature of their conversation is there, but I do get the feeling that he's trying to push harder for his idea than really listen to her yeah. and what she wants to do about it. I have softened it. Like I said, I do feel like the, the what she said, old ass white man syndrome, it does seem, it's not something malicious. It's just something he takes for granted. Right. Um, and something that is going to be like super offensive to Kim. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe we see that's the, the genesis of her and Rebecca fa- or him and Rebecca falling apart. Uh, moving on. Kenny V had some interesting things to say about some independent research because he knows a couple people in this uh, situation. Um, but about widows that lose their husbands in the line of duty. Um, I guess he has personal information about Virginia, but he also looked it up for Pennsylvania and Philly specifically. And there's like a really nice monthly pension paid out to widows that lose their husbands in the line of duty. Um, it's like $600,000 lump a plus month? a monthly oh. thing, uh, which... That 600000 takes care of most of your problems. And then a monthly stipend on top of that. I mean, other than losing your husband. Yes. Or, nothing, or spouse. I, mean, I imagine it's a spouse thing, Let's back up thing, and right? say Not... that you can't, you, can't, you, you, you can't replace a father or a husband. With six hundred grand, right. 
but but it goes a long way to filling the gaps on talk, on money. Talking about money props, so does, are the, are the shows aware of those type of funds? And this is a plot point. Does this is this essentially? Uh, are we are, are we are going to figure this out in the future, and we're going to know that Mike's been played? Except for Mike would Why know would, this. Mike's a cop too. So I just Mike think it's would the, absolutely I, know. Why? I think it's the writers not knowing that there's these things set up for the the police officers in Pennsylvania. And maybe I wouldn't imagine there's yeah, similar can't. things nationwide. Six hundred grand is easily enough to get her another house somewhere. And again, it, there's also the monthly stipend too. So like, let's right. say that so she would have that in the bank. Let's say it's a thousand dollars. You got half a mil in the bank and a thousand dollars coming to you a month. That goes a long ways to make ends meet. On top of your nurse's job, yeah, whatever she is, doctor. She's a nurse. She's wearing those horrible flower scrubs. According no to doctor Kenny, wears those. According to Kenny, though, if you remarry, you lose that. Uh, right. Is that going to be? This. Is that going to be a, a plot point? She doesn't they, seem to have any prospects at the moment. They would really have to build up the, yeah. her character into a whole other level to. And, and again, they're not acknowledging that she has any kind of assistance or stipend anyway. So. This is all right. interesting information, but it, it's out of universe information, and I don't know. Like, it could be a plot hole, like a one of those real life plot holes where if, if Vince knew what this person does, he would have written it differently. Or it could be something that maybe they weren't really married. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. But I thought it was interesting. And I want to bring it up. Uh, Steve W says, "I know you're both infidels now, so I'd like to suggest that you appoint me as your Christian feedback expert for Better Call Saul." Uh, I, I I'm a heathen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure infidel. Infidel implies I have a competing faith. To, I'm, to, I'm more of a godless heathen than an infidel. Okay, yeah. Uh, he says, I, I say this mainly because I think your heathenism caused you to miss an important point regarding the title of last week's episode, Rebecca. I thought it was weird to title the whole, ep- whole episode Rebecca when the character of Chuck's wife was only in the cold open. But then discussing with my wife, she reminded me of the bi- biblical connotations of Rebecca. In the Bible, Rebecca is the mother of twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Uh, Jacob later uh, uh, becomes, you know, renamed Israel after he wrestles with an angel all night and founds whoa. the entire... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what? what kind of relationship he's got with this angel? <laughs> it was all above the belt wrestling. Okay. It's Greco-Roman right. wrestling. Like William Shatner style sure. wrestling, right? Maybe they were nude Shirts oiled. off, but yeah. pants on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so strenuous, they ended up breaking Jacob's hip. I'm, you know, I'm not, not, not saying anything about this. Uh, anyway, that these twin sons, Jacob and Esau, had an enmity from – they'd struggled with each other even from the womb and continued to fight all their lives. Yeah. She later conspired with Jacob, the younger son, to take away the father's blessing birthright from the older son, Esau, through a trick that was very deceptive, though not illegal enough to nullify the transfer of birthright from the older to, to the younger son, which, you know, neither here nor there – uh, obviously, Rebecca's not their mother. It's the wife of Chuck. But do you think that the Villigan and the Villa gang is clued in enough to biblical history that they would have these brothers squabbling and at some point Rebecca may be coming down on the side of the younger son? I mean, kind of that was what happened last episode. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I-, I think that's a good reading of it, considering the relationships here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought that's that good stuff too. Mm-hmm. You are you are our uh, sure Christian feedback expert. Done deal. Dylan A says, "Longtime listener, first time writer. I might be in the minority, but do you think the cousin's cameo is gratuitous? This is the pro gym <laughs> side. 
Right. I know they were menacing and Breaking Bad, but here it seems like they were included just for the sake of easily establishing danger to Mike's granddaughter, which I would say is legitimate That's use true. of a uh-huh. recycled character. I know we, that we haven't seen the whole story yet, and they appeared to be in Mexico and Breaking Bad, so maybe there's a story to tell of their exile from the U.S., but if that's the last we see of them, then what's the point? Also, is it me, or did the shot of them staring down Mike from the rooftop look incredibly fake? I mean, Michael, I this, Michael Slovis is one of the guys, he's the original DP for uh, Breaking Bad, and he's probably one of the two or three men most responsible for the visual look of Breaking Bad. So no, I would not say the shot looked fake uh, or ill-composed or anything like that. Um, Okay. I wouldn't say this is a really flashy episode, but uh, it did feel, you know, again, Michael Silvis, he's the man. Uh, Do you have any uh, further comments about, do you, so Knowing your irrational disposition against these characters, would it help that if they became more woven into Breaking Bad so they had their own little mini arc that explains why they're off in Mexico? Or would you rather them, the like, okay, glad you guys got to come back, glad you guys got your custom boots, now fuck off? I mean, this might be just like, you know, dipping dipping your toe into a cold pool, right? Like, at first, it's reflexively bad. The only solution is to jump in. Yeah, once you get in, it's fine. Just go ahead and do it, and maybe I won't have a problem with it. Uh, Because I I really think if they gave me an arc that explained more backstory with Hector and the cousins and all this stuff, I'd be okay with it now. It's just like all of these, you know, I've said it time and again. I'm not going to say it again. Well, you know, the one thing I will say is that I've noticed there's a thread on Reddit talking about the cousins, and... People were surprised that they seem like the exact same people, implying that if they have an arc, it's going to be just a factual explanation. It's not going to be in a character growth arc because they're right. silent, stoic, unemotional, robotic Terminators in this, and they are that in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's any room to grow there. Right, but there is a lot of room around Hector. Sure. Um. So... They could be certainly mixed up in that. And I think the angle that he mentions there of them being potentially exiled to Mexico or on the run, uh, hiding out or just doing another job for the cartel down there. There's a lot of other story that needs to be told around that if if they want to go down that road. I'm really curious about if we're going to find out that Hector Stroke is what gave Gus the idea to start his own operations in the United States and start cutting out the cartel. Hmm. Because sees him as weaker than yeah, I mean, he's than been, he was he's, before. And I'm not saying that he wasn't working for the cartel, because obviously he was with this chicken thing. He was moving right. product, but it was their product. And yeah. the whole plot of season three on of Breaking Bad is Gus controlling the supply and maximizing mm-hmm. his profits. I wonder if he got emboldened to do his revenge plan when you know Hector started having these physical weaknesses. Because he be. seems like he is in control yeah. from what we've seen so far. And I... So where, this is Breaking Bad spoilery, but that's what we're doing here. Yep. Where does Tuco drive Jesse and Walt when he kidnaps them? Mexico. Right. Like, what is Hector doing up here right now? Is he stationed up here or does he drive up here to get Tuco off the hook? It's it's a big assumption to say the cousins are exiled to Mexico. It's the Mexican cartel. They might, that's like where they like, Don Eladio is not exiled to Mexico. He's living large down in Mexico. And they might have come up specifically to deal with the Tuco 
uh, assault and gun charge. Could be, or could be that or Hector could be is the overseeing the operation, he could be ruling over the North American side of the operation. Right. So I feel like I do want a little more backstory on what they're doing here uh, and how that kind of leads them to where they get in Breaking Bad. Hmm. It also could be that maybe, you know, like this is like a deal with the Godfather where like uh, the his lieutenants eventually, you know, the, the, the end goal if you're, you know, the guy, the lieutenant underneath the Mafia Don is to eventually get to split your own family off. Uh-huh. Um, you know, still work underneath that, but you have your own kind of say and control over your own family. I wonder if Hector is trying to establish, you know, still under Don Eladio's organization, but his own capo regime up here with his, because it's all his family. His, right. To go. They're all, they're all, all related to him. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Tom from West Virginia in his Volkswagen says in the flashback with, while eating with Chuck and Rebecca, I think Jimmy says that he's looking at an apartment at the beachcomber. If he did in fact say that it is a breaking bad callback to, uh, um, it's it's Breaking Bad callback number 762. I thought for some minute that he was being specific. I think that's a joke. As Walt lived there immediately after leaving his family in season three. After Clunky Start, I think the callbacks have been done quite well by the Villa Gang. Uh, we forgot to mention that because, again, there's so many of he them. He does that, say that. I missed the name. Yeah, 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 he does. He huh. does. And I thought someone mentioned, I tried to do a little bit of research, but I ran out of time, that the place where Kaylee and Stacy are staying is also a Breaking Bad reference. That hotel. Oh, it's not the crossroads, is it? No, God, no. <laughs> that place is a shit. That hole. would be a downgrade. There's right. legit bullet holes over that place. <laughs> um, no, it's not the Crystal Palace, but I didn't have time to look up that further. Okay. Uh, Matt said, I predict that he's got a Kim prediction. I predict that she will indeed take the job at Schweigert and Sons or whatever the hell it's called because she believes that being on the partner track is what will make her happy, but in reality, she will quickly find herself being unsatisfied there as well. I think she will begin to run scans more and more infrequently, even without Jimmy present for the thrill throughout the remainder of the season. However, not being as seasoned as Jimmy, she will inevitably make some huge mistake by hustling the wrong person and having him come back to bite her. I actually feel like that might be on the table already. Like, how many high rollers in fucking Albuquerque can you rip off before that starts to, to catch up to you? Yeah. I believe that mistake will either land her in jail or in the morgue which is how Kim will inevitably exit the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul universe. I could see her dying, but I still feel like it's a little early. It's a little, but is end of season two or too early to completely flip the table over like that? I I still think so, but well, she's, they could get there. I'm not ruling it out. It's interesting because I talked about how much tension they've been able to mine from putting Jimmy and, and Mike in danger when we know they can't actually be in danger. In fact, none of their family that we know of. Uh, and... So far, they haven't really put the squeeze on Kim or even Chuck, except for professionally and yeah. whatever Chuck's mental problem is. It wouldn't surprise me if they didn't squeeze a little bit at the end of this season. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I would certainly feel terrified if Kim was in danger. Sure, she could die. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in response to this, he continues, Matt does, Jimmy will uh, not turn back to the life of a full-time hustler, because that life is what cost Kim in the end, but with no more Kim around, he will have no more incentive to be the corporate lawyer at a firm like Davis and Maine. Finding the ultimate compromise between being a sleazebag and a lawyer, he will eventually become Saul, a sleazebag lawyer. And that's kind of where I think it's headed with you know him t- tooling up the Mercedes. That that's kind of uh, yeah you know some kind of metaphor. 
Dan from Manchester, do you have anything to say or moving on? Nope. Dan from Manchester, is it possible that the further we go into Better Call Saul, the less likely we'll be able to believe that the characters we see are those from Breaking Bad? This is something I've talked about. I already don't like Mike as the guy who would leave his granddaughter alone rather than be arrested. So as we go deeper, will I find more discrepancies in the characters' motivations and personality? This even extends to smaller characters such as the twins. In Breaking Bad, we saw them crawl through a village, steal steal cars, clothes, and murder innocent people so they could reach Albuquerque. But now they're in town at the drop of a hat to threaten an old man who has basically done nothing to the family. Any henchman could have stood on the roof while Kaylee was present. It seems like an excuse for Villigan to have yet another cameo. Do we really need one per episode? Will we get to the point where we don't believe that Jimmy, uh, we know, will become Saul? Uh, I... This is a I don't think you different... can judge this until yeah. the series is over, frankly, because they could certainly write more. Like, there's nothing that says these characters can't turn into the people they that we know they sure. become. Uh, it's just how they get there. And I think if you're trying to judge that in season two, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. I do wonder if they haven't already fucked up Mike. And or they could be setting me up for something that's going to blow my mind that makes all this stuff make sense. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right. Like, they can connect these dots. They're not trying to connect a dot to an apple. <laughs> <laughs> he was he did, he did was intrigued by my idea of a much younger version of Jonathan Banks running around in Vietnam. The spinoff. The spinoff spinoff. Okay. Mm-hmm. He says, does anyone else think that Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction era Tim Roth would have played an amazing young Mike? They have the exact same snarl. That is the best suggestion that I can think of yet. And I don't even know that Tim Roth has aged out of the role. Like, okay. He could play. Could, Tim Roth is. Uh, yeah. I think you're right. He doesn't have the cranial capacity as far as the, the actual, the, the dome. He doesn't quite have the dome, but he does have the snarl. Tim Roth is a good one. I could it's see a good him one. playing like a Philadelphia era. To, uh, Mike easy. Uh, uh-huh. easy. Uh, are you ready for another episode? What, of- what's a river? What's a river in Vietnam? Because I want the spinoff to be called "On the Banks of." I don't know. Yangtze, something that's China, right? I I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about Kwai, the geography of Vietnam. Either. That's that's over. That's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Ah, it's a shame. I had a real good joke going. There's probably a Vietnamese river, river, right? The Vietnam. Yes, on the banks of the Vietnamese. There's a United river. States River. We got a United States River, don't we? <laughs> of course, we an do, American yeah. River. Sure. Uh-huh. All rivers are American. Oh, anyway. Uh, are you ready for another episode of Law Talk? Sure, why not? Uh, Doug L. on the release of medical records, the stuff that Kim was arguing in court definitely falls into changing the dilithium crystals category, meaning that the moment the at the moment the legal specifics do not seem relative or relevant to the overall plot. That said, the show is largely correct that Kim probably lost the argument. Medical records are generally discoverable in litigation, provided someone's medical history is relevant to what the case is about. You can't complain about your privacy in medical records if you put your medical history at issue by choosing to file a lawsuit. Here, Sandpiper is about a breach of contract and fraud. The competency of the person entering the contract is potentially issue, as is the mental state of the person being defrauded. This is a class action lawsuit, meaning there's a large number of plaintiffs. Plaintiffs, from an organizational perspective, you have one or two named plaintiffs ask, acting as a class representative, meaning they're like the bow of a ship. Primary discovery about the plaintiff's allegations would go through them, so thus limiting the headache that would ensure uh, ensue from sandpaper doing extensive discovery on each individual class member. 
Now, one way to fight back is to argue the case should not be certified as a class action, which would force the individual plaintiffs to each file separate actions legally, or at least the class might have a chance to regroup and try again. Proving the class representatives are not actually representative of the class is one way to do this. By choosing to be the representative, these people put their mental status at issue, meaning sandpaper. (laughs) Sandpiper. God damn it. Sandpaper has a right to challenge it. Uh, Moreover, there's a solution to privacy issues like this, if there's a real concern about it, and that is to enter a protective order rather than block Sandpiper from having their records at all. This order would guarantee the records are not disclosed beyond the parties to the litigation. Yes, this is some dilithium crystal stuff. It's probably not interesting to your audience, but there you go. A lot of information. I, I don't even know how you how do you do this. How how does anyone function as a lawyer? That's that's what you. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean that's that's. I don't know. I mean, everyone says that about programming too, right? I guess I know some ridiculously inane bullshit about it's it's whatever interactions of software and yeah. all that stuff. But it's it's, it's what, whatever your speciality is, right? Are you taking apart a transmission? Are you arguing law? Are you slinging code? Are you gutting fish? Who knows? Right. No, uh, no one wants to hear about signed integers. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Arguing in court. The jaw, the show does a fairly good job of portraying what the back and forth of a legal argument looks like. The only difference is that each side generally takes turns presenting their argument rather than cutting each other off and sniping each other as depicted here. It's not to say it never happens. It just uh, I've certainly seen it go down this way. But in general, judges don't like it because it's disrespectful for your opponent to interrupt. Moreover, you're usually better off hanging back. First, while they're arguing, you're listening and taking care to think about what a hole in their position might be, setting up a more persuasive argument. Also, secondly, judges will often ask questions too. Letting the judge skewer your opponent is never a bad thing. will give you clues on the where, where you might want to go as well. I feel like a lot of time courts do courtroom scenes do this uh, because if you don't do it, you turn into the People versus O.J. Simpson, where it takes an entire episode to deal with a single day in court. Right. You know, by compressing the arguments, by having each other cut, you're taking 15 minutes of dialogue and compressing it to 30 seconds, and it's sexy and it's conflict, so it looks cool too. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's also a point about the hill to die on. The show discusses instances where attorneys had to go to make losing arguments in court while the superiors left them hanging by not showing up. While I've never had this experience of having a partner tell me they're going to attend the meeting with me and surprise me by not following through, there's certainly a lot of precedent for having less experienced attorneys argue motions they will likely lose. The obvious reason is that attorneys, like any other profession, need practice to get better. Arguing likely losers is a great way to get that experience while knowing the consequences if you screw up are not too severe. And if you succeed, hey, you look all the better. Uh, We also have another point from the... Likely losers is a spinoff for Perfect Strangers. (laughs) <laughs> uh they're both uh white the white shoe law firm guy uh talks about the recruiting part uh actually i want to skip it to because we're running i feel like we're running a little bit long here uh he talks about the, uh, the things that the show got wrong like the gun charge for background purposes i'm going to say what i think is pretty obvious there's a class of people who cannot own or possess a firearm for the show's purposes, the class of people at issue are those who have felony records. The legal charge is felon in possession of a firearm. With that said, I have no idea why Mike keeps saying that he will have to quote-unquote eat the gun charge. Usually a statement like that means that he will do prison time for someone else. If, for example, two people are in a car with drugs, one person may tell the police that all the drugs belong to him and eat the drug charge that the other person walks away scot-free. In this case, Mike is not a felon, which, is that an assumption or a fact? 
I think it's an assumption, but a good one. None of the cops have ever said you're a dirty cop or you're a f- ex. No. It's always no. you're a, you're a cop, and mm-hmm. um, so he suffers no harm by saying that the gun was his. He's not eating any whoa, charge. Whoa, whoa! You still have to have a permit for a weapon, right? You don't think Mike has doesn't have a gun permit? Well, but not I don't, for that. Well, here's gun, here's the thing. I don't know. I should have looked it up in New Mexico and know. specifically Albuquerque because, like Indiana. You don't need a permit to carry a, to carry a gun. It's a concealed permit, right? You need yeah. a concealed permit. So I guess Mike could say I had it on my hip and I wasn't concealing it and it fl- fl- flung out. I don't know. Um, Maybe. So and there's a lot, you know. If if I'm going to pick a state that might be liberal in the gun laws, it's probably going to be a southwestern one mm-hmm. or a midwestern one. Uh, but having said that, city ordinances. I mean, I don't know. Albuquerque could be a gun free zone, or you need to have a permit, or it's super hard to get a permit. Who knows? You don't know. It's like, you know, uh, I don't know. Somebody knows. Somebody knows. And I'm thinking that maybe it's that or it could be just that, again, Vince and Peter don't get in trouble with the law. So they're just making shit up as they go along. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I said it'd be wholly different if Mike was also a felon. But since he's a former police officer, I'm fairly sure he does not have a felony record. What's the good of being a police officer if you can't get yourself out of a felony once in a, once in a while? You know? Yep. Uh <laughs> That's all of the information we have on this episode of Law Talk and in this episode of Better Cast Saul. If you'd like to send us more, of course, you can do so at bettercastsaul at baldmove.com and forums.baldmove.com. Jim, do you have anything else? Nope, that's it. Wrap this shit up, man. All right, we'll be back next Tuesday, next Wednesday. Wednesday with uh, another episode. Looking forward to it. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. <laughs>